0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Fanlist podcast. Andre Rublev has won his sixth title in 15 months. That's going to be the main thing we're talking about today after he won in Rotterdam. Uh, and also with Diego Schwartzman winning the title in Buenos Aires. As always, I'm joined by Marcus Alley. Marcus Hayder.
1: Very well, thank you. Um, enjoyed both of these tournaments last week. I thankfully got to see quite a lot of Rotterdam due to the coverage on on Amazon Prime which is continuing this week so it's, it's good to have plenty of the tennis available and it's nice to not have it at a time during sort of the middle of the night like we've had maybe at, at the start of the season but no two really good tournaments and then yeah now three to look forward to this week. Um, You know it's really hotting up on the tour and I'm really excited to just to give my verdict on on last week's events and then, um, yeah, the, the exciting matches that we've got that lie ahead.
0: OK, so we will start the podcast in Rotterdam, an ATP 500 event. And uh, speaking of that level, Andre Rublev has won his 20th straight match at the ATP 500 level. He beat the qualifier, Marton Fuccevic of Hungary, uh, who had a very impressive week and is back up to a ranking of 46th in the world. Um, but really, Andre Rublev stealing the, the show again this week, only dropped one set en route. Uh, that was to Jeremy Shardy, overcame Stefano Sitsipas in straight sets in the semi-final before going on to win this final against Vuksovic, which I I know we both saw uh, this match. Vuksovic put up a a really good battle against uh, Rublev. I made Rublev a very, very, very strong favourite going into that match. Didn't really think the Hungarian had too much chance, but, um, you know, he did really give Rublev a good challenge in this match. And from a lot of the part looked... And, and as good player at times as Rublev, but obviously it was just those critical moments that uh, the Russian was able to uh, get the better of him. Um, yeah, eighth career title in total. Obviously, as I said, sixth in the last fifteen months, and and that twenty-match winning streak at five hundred level is is just in, insane, really, isn't it?
1: Yeah, the, the Russians' prowess already at just 23 on, on, the, on the tour outside of obviously the, the bigger events like the Masters is, is really impressive. And I don't think we've seen consistency like this from a, from a player his age in, in quite a long time. I think we saw Alexander Zverev had, have a good year on the circuit before he won his AT, ATP Tour finals. Obviously, Daniil Medvedev has been very good over the last couple of years. But really cleaning up these lower rank events do not I d I don't I can't really remember seeing anything like it from from Andre Rublev. And obviously his rise and, and bursting into the top ten last year is really, really impressive and and this week was was none different. I think I completely agree with you, Futurevitz put up a really good fight in the final. You know, obviously he had the qualifier tag, which um maybe gave him a little bit of underdog status just in the narrative going in, going into a few of his matches. But he didn't play like one in the slightest. You know, he's a player who's been on the verge of the top thirty before, and he was playing at a level that is was definitely a player in, in inside the top thirty, probably even the top twenty-five. And yeah, this was a it was a match of fine margins, even though it was a straight sets victory for Rublev. Um, ironically, uh, well, I think Fucovich's f- biggest chance of the match was actually in the opening game I think he got it he was 40 love up on on Rublev's serve in the very first game of the match and nothing there was no real big deal made about it because both players were just kind of settling in but it ended up after Rublev managed to wrestle back that match the Hungarian player didn't really have another chance on the Russian serve in the rest of the match and that was probably where where he managed to where where Andre Rublev managed to managed to sort of wrestle home that advantage and obviously getting the break at the start of the second set was huge, but no, you you can take nothing away from Fuchovic. Maybe you'd say be a bit disappointed after the great wins he had in the week to lose in straight sets, but Rublev's a great player. And Fuchovic really matched him. I'd have to say, I think just the case on the bigger points with the experiences, obviously even before this title in Rotterdam, Rublev had seven under his arm compared to Fuchovic's, I think one. So um, you know that there's a there's a winner in there, and um, you know during the big points and when he when he had to, he he really showed up in a big way.
0: Yeah, I think with Martin Fuchs, a player I've talked about before on the pod. How I think I rate I rate him quite a lot, and I think he hasn't quite lived up to uh, what I think he his potential could be. I think his career high is 31 in the world, um, and as I say, back up to 56, so he's not too far off of that. Um, You'd hope if he can just keep his consistency up. uh, Maybe he could push top 30. I think it would be a shame if he doesn't make top 30 in his career. Only 29 years old, so still definitely got a few more years at least of his sort of prime age. To go. Um, Just looking here, it's really interesting actually. Andre Rublev, that fantastic record at 500 level and ATP Masters level. He's only ever once made a quarter final. Uh, That came in Cincinnati in 2019 when he was actually a qualifier for the event, Uh, lost to compatriot Andre Medvedev, Medvedev, uh, Daniel Medvedev. Uh, at the Cincinnati Masters, but other than that, you know, there's there's a lot of second round and first round exits in the um, Masters. Now I know the, the 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 thing that maybe counteracts that stat a little bit is that Rublev has really found form since the beginning of last year, and since the beginning of last year, we've only actually had one one Masters tournament, I think. Um, so I guess. Uh, it's a bit unfair to say that Rublev maybe hasn't performed as well as he could have in the Masters, considering he uh, perhaps hasn't played, been able to play many Masters after he's become this, this player that he is. Um, but I do think with the Miami Masters approaching in a couple of weeks, I think this will be a really good barometer for Rublev really to try and see if he can bring it up to the big stage now. Um, we've seen him... Though it was a brilliant week this week to win in Rotterdam, I don't really think we learned anything new about him. We've seen him do it at 500 level before. Um, I'm sure we'll see him do it at this level again. It's impressive, don't get me wrong, but I do think now he's really at that stage where he's got to win. He's got to win or compete better at the, the higher levels like the Masters and the Slams. Um, Rublev And Vucevic both down to play Doha this week. Rublev having a bye in the first round. Vucevic is meant to play uh, Duzan Lajevic, the man who beat uh, Daniel Medvedev last week at Rotterdam. Uh, Whether Vucevic will still stay in that, I haven't seen that he's pulled out or anything. Um, I know quite often you can see finalists from the day before pulling out of a a tournament if they've got to play in the next couple of days. But um, that's a very tough match in itself. Um, but yeah no, just a, a quick word Marcus before we move on uh, to Buenos Aires um for rublev you, do you think it's really key now that uh, he makes that move at a, a masters 1000 level
1: yes and no um I think I can definitely expect him to make a sort of consistent quarterfinals minimum at master's level this this year maybe not so much on a clay court but definitely on on the hard court ones um, but, you know, if he can keep improving at slam level, you know, I'd be more concerned about that than I would masters level, to be honest. I think that um, in terms of the level, I think 500 tournaments are quite similar to, to masters 1000. Um, So obviously you get some better players at masters 1000 level, but um, so, so there's more competition, but no, I, I wouldn't be too concerned about how he gets on, you know, I, I expect him to be making the quarterfinals no issue whatsoever. You know, I, I think I do. I know you pointed out that the, the lack of masters, I think that does exacerbate that record quite a lot. That, um, since Rublev's meteoric rise really last year, he hasn't had many opportunities at, at masters events. So I, I don't really worry about that record at all, to be honest. Um, and I don't think he should be focusing on that at all either. I think, yeah, I think, um, a, an average week for Rublev could see him cruise into a master's quarterfinal with the current levels that he's he's operating at um yeah just la- one last thing on on Fuchevitz. you know he recorded six wins in rotterdam if you include qualifying so it's a hell of a week probably the best of his career you know he has won a 250 title but this is much more big time you'd have to say and getting wins against players around him in the rankings in Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, Tommy Paul, and Borna all in straight sets, was really impressive. Um, and of course, as you mentioned, up to 46 in the rankings, he's, if he can keep this form, because it, you know, it was a hot streak. It, it probably was the best form we've seen from Fuchovic in his career um, at 29. Then he'll definitely be a player to keep an eye on as as the year progresses. Although, you know, having said all that, I do think he faces an uphill task against Dusan Ljubicic. Not not I mean given the context you know without if, if this was to happen in a, in a week's time I'd probably go for Fuchovic to win but I have gone for Dusan Livic to win on the basis that you know um, Holland to Qatar is not a short journey and um, yeah he hasn't got a buy in the first round like Rublev so I, I do think it'll be a tricky one for him.
0: Yeah I've gone for Livic, and for the exact same reasons also the thing you've got to think about now is Holland to Qatar is not a A short journey but then you've also got I don't know all the rules of the different countries but presumably there's also going to be testing to go through um, results, possibly multiple testings, Uh, as I say I don't know the specific rules in in Doha but um, we'll go on to talk about Gilles Simon uh, a little bit later and he's made comments about how it's made it a lot more stressful travelling around with the tennis and a lot less enjoyable for some players so I do think that's going to make it even harder for a player like on food to find the level that he's been able to find Uh, and yesterday I mean you could maybe argue I didn't see all of his matches but you could maybe argue yesterday was his best performance of the week considering uh, though he did lose he's come up against one of the best players in the world and and given him a really good match okay so uh, moving on we'll just go on to the second tournament of the week that was over in Buenos Aires uh, on the clay courts of Argentina uh, number one seed, Diego Schwarzman, won the title there. Um, a really, really impressive week, actually. Um, he defeated Francisco Cerundolo, who is the brother of Juan Manuel Cerundolo, who won in Cordoba last week. The two brothers really making a good rise up the rankings together at the moment. But Francisco, the slightly older brother at the age of 22, uh, wasn't quite able to... Uh, do what his brother had done the week before. Schwartzman went through the week, won all four of his matches in straight sets, um, against, uh, including wins against Hame Munar, Mir Mir sorry. and then, yeah, before absolutely smashing Francisco Surrendalo 6 1, 6 2. Um, a brilliant bounce back for Diego Schwartzman, who probably would have been a little bit disappointed to lose uh, two weeks ago in Cordoba to Albert Ramos. Not, it's not a bad loss by any means. Ramos, a very impressive player on a clay court, but with Schwartzmann being the number one seed of that tournament and in his home country as well, uh, perhaps would have been a little bit disappointed. But a, a, a fantastic week for Schwartzmann. As for Francisco Serrano, he is up to 112 in the world, which is uh, seven 70 places, sorry, higher than his 19-year-old brother Juan Manuel. Even though Juan Manuel has the title now, I think it's more of a result of Francisco just being a little bit older and he's been around on the Challenger circuit uh, a little bit longer. Uh, but but fantastic wins for him, beating Benoit Paire. Um, Pablo Anderhar and Albert Ramos, all in three sets, all going the distance. Um, that, that, I think, is a fantastic record for the 22-year-old. Maybe wondering if putting in all that mileage in those three matches meant that he didn't really have enough left in the tank for Schwarzman, who is a fantastic clay court player, which is maybe why he didn't really put up too much of a fight in, in the final. Um he also is playing this week in Santiago, or Santiago, I beg your pardon, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if we did see him maybe put out with all of those uh, those those matches being played. But yeah, Marcus, um, quick word on, on Diego Schwarzman, uh, a, a very good week for him.
1: Yeah, it was impressive. Probably an important win to, to keep him ticking over. Um, you know, we haven't had too many tournaments, so it's a small sample size, but particularly with that loss to Albert Ramos in Cordoba, you know, it's a quite a slow start to the season. Obviously he lost to Aslan Karatsev, which I think we can forgive him for at the Australian Open. But I, I do think he needed this just to, to build a bit of confidence. And um, I think Schwarzman definitely is a player who, um, he, he sort of builds and builds and builds. Like before the French Open last year, where he made the semi-final, he produced a lot of good form before it. He, he needs to sort of, uh, you know what I mean? He needs to get on a run to, to really produce his best tennis. He's not, like um, the Dimitrov's or Hatchinovs that we've spoken about in the past, that can sort of mix it for one tournament and then sort of disappear again. And you know, he is a more consistent player, so it's it's good to see him to see him continue that. Um, having said that, he you know on paper he was the best player in the field in, in Buenos Aires by by quite a mile. Um, And as for Francisco Therundela, I mean, it's a a great week. Um, You speak about the excellent wins against Per Andahar and Ramos Vinolas all in three sets, showing plenty of fight. He also, in the first two rounds of qualifying, to which there were three in Buenos Aires, which seems still very, uh, quite exaggerated, he he, he had to battle through um, matches that went the distance as well. Against some experienced clay quarters, Clizar is a name that um, sticks out as a player that, nasty banana skin and a qualifying uh, tournament for a, for a clay court event so you know he's shown plenty of grit and uh, a 22 years old to get seven wins including qualifying you know at an ATP tour rank event is, is very impressive considering that I, I don't think we'd seen him at his his um, at this level until maybe the back end of last year if at all in 2020. Um, so yeah a lot, along with his brother definitely players to watch out for on the clay court and obviously Thurindolo, um Francisco being, being 22 years old, we'd like to see how he fares on a hard court. Um, hopefully this year at some point, I'm not as concerned about Juan Manuel at 19 just yet, but I would like to see how Francisco gets on on that surface. Um, given uh, my, my, stand standpoint on Fuchovic, I had to be consistent here and I have got him to lose in the first round to Andres Martin in Santiago, which I think, is if even if he was fit would be quite quite a challenge so um no really really impressive week for him is he hasn't quite trumped his brother but um you know still some awesome wins uh all the same and uh, you know we'll definitely be talking about him a a lot more this year um and yeah obviously you say he's got the 70 places in the rankings on his brother so I, I, i do think he'll he'll keep that sort of lead ahead of his brother not that not that I imagine they're too competitive between each other but I do think he'll be as relevant as Juan Manuel this year is what I'm saying um but yeah no that was slightly disappointing final but no I mean that Francisco Thrundelo is, is really the story of Buenos Aires for me
0: yeah we've had the um Amazing sibling partnership of Serena Williams and Venus Williams on the women's side, maybe gear up for the future of Francisco Serendolo and uh, Juan Manuel, both playing very well out on the clay courts at the moment. Um, yet yeah, just looking ahead, uh, Diego Schwartzman uh, is not playing this week in Santiago. Uh, it says week off for Diego Schwartzman. Uh, he will not be playing Santiago. Um, But as we said, uh, Francisco will face uh, Andre Martin uh, in the first round and yeah, it's going to be a tough one for him if he does play. uh, So yeah. Right, so we've got some tournaments to look ahead to uh, this week. Uh, The main one we'll look at is uh, Doha over in Qatar. And the big story coming out of this is Roger Federer returns to tennis playing his first match since the Australian Open semi-final in 2020 when he lost in straight sets to Novak Djokovic. It'll be the first time Federer has played tennis in the the post-pandemic uh, world, or well, perhaps not post-pandemic yet, but um, you know what I mean. Um, he is uh, the second seed at this event, with the ranking system now being, over the last two years, he's still got enough uh, points to qualify, and I'm sure obviously would have uh, been given a wild card anyway to Doha. He'll be gunning for his 104th career title, uh, this week in, in Doha, you see 2005, 2006 and 2011 champion uh, at the tournament. Um, but, you know, obviously we, we can't expect too much from Federer. I think I was reading his interview last night and I think he's saying that this week's more just sort of to see where he's at. And he is hoping all, all, all going well and Wimbledon goes ahead this year. He said that his season starts really from Wimbledon. Uh, and, and he said at the age of 39, he, he doesn't feel that the story's over yet. And he wants to just carry on playing and, and, and see how long he can go for. Uh, he wants to go out on his own terms, he said. Um, so brilliant to see him back. Definitely, you know, there, there, there's a lot of um, talk about who's the greatest player of the world, etc. Cetera, et cetera, but I think we could probably agree that Federer is uh, the, the biggest global image of, of tennis uh, over the last sort of 20, 30 years. You know, his he's, he's, he's face is everywhere over tennis and, and one of the most popular players in the world, probably the most popular player of all time. Uh, so it's a great to see him back. Um, Marcus, just your, your thoughts on, on Federer coming back.
1: And yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great for the game. Um, you know, really good to see him back. I think we've got to treat him as Roger Federer that hasn't played in over a year this week, rather than Roger Federer, the name. Um, And, you know, obviously he's got a buy in the first round, but I think his second round task is going to be really tricky against either Dan Evans or Jeremy Shardy. Um, But no, no, it's awesome to see him back. Yeah, of course, my, you know, my main view on on Federer competing will be on the grass courts. You know, that, that has probably been the most successful in his career. And that's where I see him being the biggest threat um you know he he knows his body I I trust you know him to manage it himself very well we'll probably see him pretty scarcely over the clay court season um but yeah at 39 40 in August I believe it is he, he's got a really good elegant style you know very natural athlete I think that might um be a little bit of a factor towards how he's managed to stay pretty clear of, of any major injuries in his career um and yeah you you say that he thinks he can carry on for a few more years wants to end on his terms i completely expect that to happen um obviously wimbledon being being the main tournament where we expect him to to pose a big challenge but you know he manages his body so well um you know this isn't the first time he's come back maybe it's been the longest amount of time but um you know you know we've seen this before and he He somehow finds a way to to continue to produce some incredible tennis for his age. And if he can get past a a tricky first few matches in this tournament, then then he's definitely going to be a threat.
0: For sure, yeah. And his record uh, at Doha, I was just looking this morning, is actually really impressive. He's played the tournament seven times. Uh, on his debut in 2002 he made the quarterfinals, And and each time he's played the tournament since then he's at least made the semi-finals. Now I know obviously with Doha being a smaller tournament he's always going to be fancied when he's there to, to be in those later rounds but he's never really had a surprise early exit from Doha. Now I know obviously this time you'd expect that to be a lot more likely with him not having played for 15, 15 months but um it, it, it'll be an interesting first round match. Dan Evans, you know, and Jeremy Shardy, both very good players, but both players Federer has solid records against. He's played Dan Evans three times. They've all been at Grand Slams and he's won them all in straight sets. Evans never taken a set off Federer, played Shardy five times, has lost to Shardy once, but that was on a clay court over in Rome um, back in 2014. So, you know, it's, it's going to be very interesting. We don't know what Roger Federer we're going to get, but I, I think perhaps from his point of view, he, he maybe could have got a harder sort of second round match uh, in terms of his head-to-head records. But then Evans is a player who's come on a lot in the last couple of years. And Shardy, I think it was last week or the week before, we were seeing him playing some really good tennis. So, yeah, I, I would expect Federer probably to lose that first match uh, having sort of, uh, been out for so long, but you never really know with Federer. We've seen the Dow come back from countless times out and just blow the field away, and, and I'm sure has still got a lot of a lot of quality uh, and and promise left in him. So that's obviously the main story from Doha. Now we'll just do the sort of usual uh, format that we do on this podcast, where we will uh, just sort of look quickly down the draw at Doha, uh, and then we both do our, our predictions. Um, and, and we'll go through our quarterfinal bits and etc. So, um, obviously, as I say, uh, Roger Federer is the second seed at this event. Dominic Thiem, uh, the world number three, is the number one seed. Uh, you've also got Andre Rublev, as I mentioned earlier, is playing this week. Uh, then you've got the likes of Roberto Bautista Agut, Denis Shapovalov, uh, Britain's Dan Evans, Stan Ravrinka, uh, so it's a very strong lineup over in Doha for the for the 250 tournament. Also, uh, the Australian Open semi finalist Azlan Karatsev uh, has won, hit the first match of the tournament. He faced uh, the uh, wild card Musa Shanan Zayed, only dropping four games uh, in that match. So a, a good, comfortable return. For Karatsev after that amazing story that we saw in Melbourne getting all the way to the semi-final on his Grand Slam debut. Uh, but we'll go through the quarterfinals, our predictions for this tournament, and I'll let Marcus go first.
1: Yeah, so at the top, I've got Dominic Thiem to come through the challenge of Aslan Karatsev, which is quite a nasty um, player for him to, to take on in his, what will be his first match of the tournament. Um, and that win for me has him to go on to face Roberto bautista Agut, who for me has got a really tough first two matches. But I think he'll have the experience and guile to get past Riley Opelka and Alexander Bublik. Um, then that second quarter final, I've got Andre Rublev, um, yeah, the form player in the world at uh, this rank event against Stan Vavrenka. Um, I was kind of looking for an excuse to oppose Vavrenka, to be honest, but. Uh, I can't remember who he's got in the first round, but I think it's quite straightforward if he doesn't have a bye. Um, And then I have him to beat Dusan Lajevic in the second round, who of course, as I've mentioned, I have to knock out Martin Fuchovic. However, if Fuchovic can get through that first round match against Lajevic, him against Vavrenka could be a a really good match. Uh, would may be going as a narrow favourite for me, but based on the fact that I have him to go out, I've got Vavrenka to make that quarterfinal. Then in the third uh, quarterfinal, I've got a Probably my um, biggest shock of the draw. Um, well, maybe not, actually. But anyway, I've got the Serbian player Filip Krijinovic to make the quarterfinal. I've got him to beat David Goffin in the first round and Lorenzo Sonego in the second. So some some tough players, but I think Krajinovic can come through that. And I've got him to play Denis Shapovalov in that quarterfinal. And then at the bottom of the draw, I have Borna Choric. And Dan Evans. I have Dan Evans to beat Jeremy Shardy and Roger Federer. And then, uh, yeah, I've got Borna Chorich to to beat Dan Evans and actually make the final. But, um, yeah, just one thing to add. I I think Federer could beat Evans, maybe in three sets. Um, And then, obviously, I've got Corich to go on, mainly because I think the Evans match could take a lot out of Federer, which would see Chorich profit from that should Federer make the quarterfinal. Um, so I've kind of got that base, Chorich's run based off of potentially facing a week in Federer. And as I say, I've got him to make the final. Um, but yeah, I think as a matchup, Dan Evans versus Borna Chorich could be an awesome match and a, a very close one. I'm pretty sure Evans has already beaten Chorich this year. Um, but the Croatian player did, did quite well at Rotterdam last week, beat Kai Nishikori, um before going out to Fuchovic. So... Uh, yeah, just a, a spoiler on, on, on who to win the title before you run through your, your quarters as well, Michael. I, I have Dominic team, the top seed, to beat Borna Choric in the final. Okay, very interestingly, uh, we've got one finalist who
0: is the same and one finalist who is different, uh, but it's perhaps the way round that you wouldn't have expected. Uh, I have gone for a big, big upset at the top of the draw, Uh, I've gone for Aslan Karatsev to beat Dominic Thiem in Dominic Thiem's first match. Basically, just because I thought Karatsev was amazing at the Australian Open. Um, You know, you never really know if he's going to back it up. Um, But I wanted to pick Lajevic to beat Medvedev last week. I bottled it and it happened. So I I don't want to become that guy who keeps sitting there going, oh, I nearly put that, but I bottled it. So I've gone for it this time. I do feel, you fair know, play, Dominic. Fair team. Play.
1: Yeah, live by the sword, die by the sword. Yeah, I rate that exactly
0: that. And and a Dominic team. um We have seen him go out early in in these sorts of tournaments before. Um He has become a lot more consistent over the last the last of the year, I believe. But um. I do think he'll struggle against a sort of explosion of Karatsev. It's very hard to judge Karatsev from that first match. He was playing against a. I'm not even sure if this Zayt player is even ranked. I think he plays Nohar every year with a wild, sorry, with a wild card. But um, yeah, I'm not even sure he's got like an a, official ATP ranking. So we can't really judge uh, too much from that. Uh, I've got Kratsev to face Bautista Agut in the quarterfinal. I have actually gone for Bautista Agut to win that, though. Um, so, Bautista Agut through to the semi. Uh, my second quarterfinal, Andre Rublev against Duzan Lajovic. Uh, I think Lajovic will have a little bit too much for Sam Avrenka, who I haven't really uh, seen too much from of, of late. Um, Lorenzo Sonego uh, to face Denis Shapovalov is my third quarterfinal. Uh, although I do definitely rate the Krajinovic pick and I have got Krajinovic to beat Goffin in the first round as well. Uh, and in the last quarterfinal, I have got Borna Choric against Dan Evans. So I think this is probably the first draw ever where I put the first seed and the second seed to both go out in their first matches. Uh, obviously with Federer, it's a little bit different given the, the context. And like you, I, I believe Federer definitely could beat Dan Evans. But Chorich has looked very good, looked good in uh, Rotterdam. Last week, um, and I, I do think has quite a lot of firepower. I, I I got Shapovalov through to the semi more just because I I, I didn't really think he was going to lose any of those matches. Uh, but I, yeah, Coric for me, I'm quite comfortable. Uh, could be could be the finalist, and I've got Andre Rublev to beat him in the final, so I'm backing Rublev to. I, I I just don't see that this guy gets tired. Really, um, I'm just going to back him to keep winning. Uh, so we will see with that uh, but yeah that's pretty
1: yeah Marcus yeah just one player I think we've both disregarded which we might regret I'm not trying to cover us but I just think we should mention this player going into the tournament and that's Jeremy Shardy I actually think he's got a good chance of, of making a run you know I've gone for Dan Evans to beat him in the first round um, just off being a bit fresher you know Shardy's played quite a lot at the start of the season and done really well um, but he, he, He's the sort of player that I feel like could work Dan Evans out maybe across the course of the match. Evans occasionally loses the matches you expect him to win and then wins the matches that you don't expect him to. So I I think maybe, you know, if Shardy can get through that, then him against Federer could be, that could be a great match. Um, You know, two really elegant players, um, you know, great ball strikers. And I think, I just think it's a nice side of the jaw if Shardy can get through that first match against Evans. You know, Chorich, in a similar way, I feel like players like Chorich and Evans, when they can't get the beating of an older older guy like Shardy, like Rublev, like, I'm not sure, maybe Baltista or good to an extent, they tend to kind of panic and get worked out a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's worth saying that, that I think Jeremy Shardy does have a shout, although, of course, with a, with a very tough match in the first round.
0: Yeah, completely get where you're coming from. And uh, Jeremy Shardy has a 3-1 record, a 3-1 head-to-head in favour of Shardy against Dan Evans. I've just looked up whilst we were talking. So um, definitely indications there that, judging by history, uh, Shardy could be considered a slight favourite going into that match. Uh, OK, right. So let's just move on. Uh, Our second uh, tournament of this week uh, moves to Europe with Marseille. Uh, another indoor tournament uh, over in France. A few sort of familiar faces from the last uh, few weeks of tournaments popping up here. Daniel Medvedev is the top seed of Marseille. Second seed, Stefanos Tsitsipas. Uh, and then there's also the likes of uh, Kei Nishikori, uh, Ugo Bear. Karen Hatchinoff uh, is the third seed. as a, and, and Yannick Sinner, the very exciting, Young Yannick Sinner uh, is also at this tournament. So actually, though you'd maybe argue Doha's the the, the sort of show stealer in the sense that it's got Federer at. Uh, I'd I maybe think overall you've definitely got uh, probably more players uh, from the top twenty in this. That's without the, the stats to to my hand, but uh, I do think. Overall, if you're taking all the players into consideration, this could be a stronger lineup than uh, Doha. So I'll start with my uh, quarterfinals. Uh, I've got a very exciting first quarterfinal Daniel Medvedev against Yannick Sinner. Could be a really, really good match, that one. Uh, and I will say now I've actually got Yannick Sinner to win uh, that and make the semi final. <coughs> Beg your pardon. Um, Karen Hatchinoff. Uh, Looked good in Rotterdam last week. I've got him to face uh, Yoshihito Nishioka in the second quarter final. Uh, the third quarter final Alejandro Davilovic Fikina against Ugo Umbe. Um, Davilovic Fikina has got quite a nice first couple of rounds, I think. Um, we believe is playing Petros Sitsapas, uh, Stefano Sitsapas's brother a younger brother in the first round. The site that we use for our predictions has got a different Greek man's name down, but I'm fairly certain uh, it is Stefan Sitsipas's brother uh, playing this one. Um, And then uh, a match against either a qualifier or or Kukushkin in the second round. So pretty confident Davidovich Kina can make it deep into this tournament. Um, And then there with a possible, uh, well, he has a buy, and his second round will be either a, Joe Wilfred Songer or Feliciano Lopez, a very enticing match. You know, a match from 2010, really, uh, being played at this Marseille tournament. Songer, after just coming back the other week, uh, I think he lost his match to Sebastian Corder, if my memory serves me right. Um, but he's actually never lost to Feliciano Lopez. The head-to-head is about 5 or 6 nil to Songer, I noticed. Um, so I've, I've gone for Songa to win that match in the first round, even though Lopez possibly could be considered favourite, having played a bit more recently. Uh, but that's the match that I would love to catch, to be honest. Uh, a, a real throwback match. Uh, our last quarterfinal, I've got um, uh, a bit of a risk going for this guy. Uh, I've gone for Pierre Hugues-Herbert uh, in the quarterfinal and I've got him to come up against uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas. Uh, I'll pass to Marcus before I go on with my later rounds.
1: Very interesting. Um, just two differences, I think. Um, you know, I've got what I think is, I'm pretty certain, is a first ever meeting between Daniil Medvedev and Yannick Sinner in the top quarter final. And then in the second quarter final, probably one of my biggest left field shouts of the week. In typical Karen Hatchinov fashion, after a decent week in Rotterdam, I've got him to duck out pretty early. In Marseille, um, and so I have Mackenzie McDonald to reach the quarterfinal with a protected ranking into the tournament. He's 120 in the world now, um, and yeah, just like you, I've got to face Yoshihito Nishioka in the quarterfinal, which I believe could be a really good match if it does materialize. Two sort of similar players; they're both 25 years old, um, so I think that could be a good. And if it does if it does come to pass. Um, and of course I got him to beat Stefano Traveller in the first round before setting up a second round match with Hachinov. Uh Yeah. Then third quarter final for Kina versus Umber. Um, And just like you, I do have Joe Wilfred Songa to beat for Lithiano Lopez in the first round. I'm not sure whether I, this pick was more with my heart than my head, but you know, it's in France, uh, maybe some good vibes in there. I, I don't think Songa played too bad against Corda. Um, I think that both sets were quite close, if I remember correctly. Um, so yeah, hopefully he got a good bit of fitness out, out of that match and can be in a in in better shape for this one. Uh, previous winner of the tournament, maybe multiple times, I believe as well. Um, and then that bottom quarter final, I've got Kei Nishikori to face Stefanos. Sits a Nishikori, a good week in in Rotterdam, beating Felix Auger-Aliassime and Alex De Minaur. Um, so it really was a sort of a you know he's telling us that he's still here, and uh, I think he'll stand up and be counting and get the wins against your quarterfinalist Pierre Ugues bear and then Britain's Cameron Norrie on the way to setting up to that quarterfinal match um, to go into the later rounds. I didn't realize this before I made the prediction, but I have Stefanos Tsitsipas to win his third consecutive title in in Marseille. I I didn't actually realize that that was his record before predicting this, and I have him to beat Daniil Medvedev in the final. Um, you know, surely Medvedev can't um, be as poor as it as he was last week, but I think Sitsapas is, is playing well at the moment. I think he, he'd spent a little bit too much time on court. I think that paid a little bit into the way he lost to Rublev last week, although, you know, you don't need an excuse to lose to Andre Rublev at 500 level. Um, but no, I, th- I just think Sitsapas is, is playing a bit better than Medvedev at the moment. Um, and yeah, so I, th- I think he can go on and, and retain his crown.
0: Very interesting. We've got um, the same winner uh, in six pass, but quite different draws, to be honest, uh, you putting Hatchinoff to go out in the second round. I've got Hatchinoff to make the final um, bit of a risk. Uh, I do really rate him as an indoor player. As I said on my last podcast, you know, I think it's uh, four or five of his titles. Uh, coming on the indoor court, one at a Masters level as well. So I've got Yannick Sinner to beat Medvedev in the quarterfinal, but Karen Hatchinov to beat Yannick Sinner in the semi-final. But yeah, I backed uh, Sitsipas to win that. Just more because I much prefer his route to the final, a little bit like how I put Rublev to beat Medvedev in the final last week. I just feel that, you know, even even if, if Hatchinov does make the final, then you could definitely beat Sitsipas if he's playing well. But... Uh, looking at six passes half of the draw, I'm not really sure that there's too many people in it, I think, that could beat him. If he does turn up and play well, uh, obviously Hugo Embert is a, is a very good player. But um, it's been a bit of a stuttery start to, to 2021 for the young Frenchman in comparison to the end of 2020 that he had. Um, let's just go on to the... Last tournament uh, of the week, which is over in Santiago, the capital of Chile. Uh, that's another clay court 250 tournament. It's topped by Chile's big name Christian Har- Christian Garin, sorry, or Harin, um, who I'm struggling to remember who it was against now, but had a disappointing loss last week in Buenos Aires. I'm sure Marcus will fill me in. Uh, when I pass over to him on, on who beat him. Um, Benoit Paire also playing there. He's at the bottom of the draw uh, as a second seed. Also, uh, Lazlo, Gere, Francis, Tifa and Pablo Anderhauer. So really, it's a very similar draw to last week. And both the Thurindo brothers are playing. Juan Manuel Thurindo, the 19-year-old, has got a, a, a Chilean wild card, Gonzalo Lama or Lama. Uh, in the first round, and his brother, as we mentioned earlier, playing Andrej Martin in the first round. Uh, so, Marcus, I'll let you go through your quarterfinals for Santiago first, and you can fill our listeners in on on who it was that beat Garin last week.
1: Yeah, it was Summit Nagao um, with his his best win of his career to date, beating uh, Christian Garin last week. I think came in, yeah, he came in as the second seed in Buenos Aires. Um, I do have him to to make the quarterfinal. I think. Yeah, it was a bad loss. He also lost to Christian Harrison in, in Delray Beach, which was disappointing. Um, so you know he needs to get a couple of wins under his belt before it starts becoming a real bad trend this week. And I think on home soil, we definitely should be able to do that. So I've got Garen in that top quarter final, and uh, a little bit in, in inspired by you, I have him to face anonymous qualifier too in the quarter quarterfinal. Um, my reasoning being, I just look at the qualifying draw and the players in the last round of it. And compared to the players that are facing qualifiers in the first round of the draw, I, I feel quite confident in, in a fair few of them doing doing pretty well and having favourites. You've got Tabilo, the top seed in, in qualifying. I, th- I think he's Chilean as well. Yeah, he is. Well, number 168 in the final round. Obviously, we're not going to find out which qualifiers make it through before the main draw starts, I don't think. Then you've got Varias versus Meligeni in the second one, which could be quite close. I mean, they both sound like clay court players. I don't know a lot about them, to be honest. But then the other two, um, really encouraged me a lot more. You've got a young player called Rune from, from Denmark, who I think he's 17, has shown some decent form on clay court in the last couple of weeks. And he plays Renzo Olivo, um, a f- former top 100 player, decent Argentinian clay quarter. And then the, particularly the bottom one, you've got Nicolas Kikare against Bayes, the Argentinian 20-year-old, who's had some really good form on the, on the clay challenger circuit in, in recent weeks. So I think particularly if Bayes can get through against Kikare, He's definitely capable of making the quarterfinal because they are some quite kind first round matches for a qualifier. Um, So I've got whoever this qualifier to may end up being to beat Joao Souza and Jean-Luc Magier on their way to the quarterfinal. Um, I've got Magier to beat Federico Correa in the first round, which maybe is considered a little bit of a shock. He'll probably go into that match as underdog, but Correa has played a lot of tennis in the last few weeks. I wouldn't surprise if he's struggling physically, maybe a touch. Then in the second quarterfinal, I've got Daniel Altmaier, who made the fourth round of the French Open last year against Juan Manuel Thurindolo. I've got Altmaier to beat Daniel Alahi Galam riveros in the first round, which will be a tough match. So it'll be an interesting one. Whoever comes out the, the winner of that match, I'll probably back to on and make the quarterfinal, to be honest. I've got them to play Pablo Anderha in the second round on the way to making the last eight. Um, then with Juan Manuel Thurindolo... Maybe taking a little punt. I have him to take um, I have him to beat Salvatore Caruso in the second round, who's a very capable player on this surface and could could easily, easily win that match. But I just think maybe the, the hype trains got to me a little bit too much, but you know, I've I've gone for Thurendolo to to make the quarterfinal, the younger brother, of course. Then that third quarterfinal, I've got Marco Cecinato to face Laszlo Jere, the Serbian player. Uh, I've got this match actually happened last week and and Jero won uh, in three sets. I've got Checanato to beat Bagnis and Nicolas Hari, a Chilean player, on his his way there. And then the bottom quarterfinal, I've got Haumei Moonar against Anonymous Qualifier 3. I have this Anonymous Qualifier to beat another Anonymous Qualifier in the first round and then beat Benoit Paire because I think the Frenchman is just playing awfully at the moment um real slow starts of the year i'm not sure what he was doing in the off season but you know i mean mentally you need to question his his mindset on court i mean we could have been, we' we'd be, probably would have been saying that for the last few years where he's actually had some quite good success but I, I, he's really not playing well at the moment um and i think a, a plucky qualifier that's uh, had two or three has, has had three wins under their belt in qualifying which you have to to make the first round um would be, would be good enough to beat him at the moment obviously I don't know who the qualifiers are three and four so you know there'll be a bit of luck involved if this one comes off but yeah I, I, I can't I don't have any confidence in, in Benoit Paire at the moment as the second seed and obviously yeah how may moon are in some decent form I've got him to beat Del Bonis and Andres Martin who of course as I mentioned I have to put out Francisco Therundelo in the first round and then to uh, reveal my final prediction I do have Christian Garin to make the final. However, I have Laszlo Jere to beat him and, and win his third title on a clay court. I had a decent week last week, ended up going out to Miamir Kecmanovic, but he's a good player in his own right. And I think, yeah, maybe that going out in the quarterfinal would have given him a, a nice bit of recovery time to come into not the best field, you'd have to say, at a clay court tournament. Um, and yeah, I think Jere is definitely one, one of the players to watch this week. Okay, uh,
0: he's revealed it all there then. Um, my quarterfinals uh, Christian Garin against Federico Correa didn't quite have the faith uh, in the qualifiers this week. Uh, second quarterfinal, I've got Pablo Andahar to beat Daniel Waltmeyer in the second round and face Juan uh, Manuel Therundelo, But I've also got the 19 uh, year old Therundelo to win that match against Andahar and make the semi final against Garin. Uh, my third quarterfinal, I think, is the same as yours. Uh, Marco Cecchinato against Laszlo Gere. Uh, and then my fourth quarterfinal is Haume Munar against Benoit Paire. I have backed Benoit Pair to at least win uh, that one match in the second round. But I have got Munar, Munar to uh, make the semifinals. Uh, in the semifinals, I've got Gere to make the final as well against Munar and Garen to beat Serindolo, but I have gone for Garen to beat Xero in the final, so uh, could come down to the final, that one, in terms of who does better in, in that tournament. Um, Just a couple of things uh, we're going to rattle through quickly. Um. I believe uh, Marcus has a little bit of trivia for me. Did you want to do it now, Marcus, or did you want to talk with Gilles Simon now? Okay, Marcus yes, uh, is going to give me a little bit of trivia for me and uh, those of you at
1: home. Yeah, just to stay in Chile. And the, the Chile Open has actually been across the country. It hasn't been in Santiago throughout its its whole existence. And it took a five-year absence before coming back last year in 2020, where it was won by Thiago Saboth wild But, in the previous uh, five events, um, there were some in I think it was Vina del Mar was what it was called um, before. Obviously, Thiago Sabelo winning it last year, there were uh, five champions, and I just want to see how many you can name. I'm going to give you a few clues because obviously, you know that <laughs> that is very vague. Um, but a few of them were just nice sort of throwback clay court players to me, and I think you know just just players with good memories attached to. Um, so of these five winners two of them are retired I've put retired slash inactive uh, because sometimes it's it's quite hard to see whether someone's sort of concrete called the end on their career and um, yeah so those two retired slash inactive players are both Argentinian and one of them uh, these players won won the tournament in 2012 and 2013. I hope I'm being as as clear as I can with this. And the one, yeah, short sure. the one in 2013 beat uh, Rafael Nadal in the final. Have you got that?
0: Yeah. Um. I mean, I'm going to assume one of them. Can I? Should I guess these ones now? Yeah. I was going
1: to just give you the the other three. Yeah. All right.
0: All right. Yeah. 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 Go. Go for the others.
1: So the other three, I'm kind of just giving you nationality. So, the uh, so one of them is Italian, one of them is Brazilian, and one of them is a Spaniard, which is definitely too vague. So I'm going to give you the added clue that he's 38 and still playing, currently ranked 226. Okay, so, um, I mean to take on board Spaniard
0: who's 38 and still playing. Instantly, I get the Dasko in my head, but he's not ranked that low. Um, we'll come back to that. The two Argentines that have retired, I'm going to assume one is Juan Monaco.
1: Correct, yeah. Yeah,
0: um, and I reckon it might be him who beat the Dow in the final. Um, another retired slash inactive Argentine. I mean, I i, I don't think Del Potro is down as inactive, Um yeah, and, and that 2012 and 2013 would have been the time that he wasn't really playing anyway. Um who could the
1: album Argentine be? Um he is the one who beat Nadal, this one you're thinking of. It wasn't Oh really, okay. Um probably the most notable thing that he did in his career.
0: I'll come back to that. Um the Italian, I'll go for. Uh, Fabio Fanini, correct. yeah Uh, the Brazilian, I mean, did you not tell me it was Save Off Wild or is this a different? Um... No,
1: I said no. Okay, so could it be
0: Thomas, Thomas Bellucci? It is Thomas Bellucci, yeah, correct. Right. Uh, the Spaniard is 38.
1: You'll kick yourself, will I? But it, what was his ranking 226 currently? Obviously, he won the title. Can you think of Spanish players that have just sort of disappeared recently? No, I might
0: just settle for three out of five. Yeah,
1: fair enough. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. You know, it's, it's harder when they're, when they're not as relevant anymore. Uh, in 2013, Horatio Zabayos beat Rafael yeah. Nadal in the final yeah. of the Chief I remember the- that now, Well, I would never have remembered that without you telling me. And the Spanish player who won it uh, was Tommy Robredo. Oh, of course. Um, of course. Uh, he too, beat yeah. Another throwback name, Santiago Giraldo in the final, a Colombian yeah. player. A bit of a yeah, clay court OG. Um, but yeah, that, that concludes that bit of trivia on the on the Chile Open. I know uh you want to get into a bit of uh recent news to men- to mention before we yeah, play. We,
0: we probably should have um mentioned um This a couple of episodes ago, because it did happen a a little while ago, but um, we thought we we should pay tribute to it. Um, The 36-year-old Frenchman Gilles Simon uh, has announced he's taking a break from the sport. So even though he's 36, it's not like a retirement. Uh, He's taking a break because of mental health concerns. He said that with my heart not being there to travel and play in these conditions, I unfortunately have to take a break in order to preserve myself mentally. Um, you know, he said, hopefully my morale picks up as soon as possible. Uh, he's a former Grand Sound quarter finalist, both at the Australian Open and Wimbledon. And he's, I think we would both say, it's fair to say he sort of missed a consistent, he's um, probably in that sort of very small category with sort of David Goffan, who just sort of consistently ranked well and, 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 with a lot of players, you sort of see big falls and then big rises, but Simone is, is a, a real trooper. I remember that week he had at the last Queens when he made the final and lost to Feliciano Lopez. So I'm not even sure, you know, Federer could have beaten Feliciano Lopez that week. It might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but um, you know, a really good player is Gilles Simone and we hope uh, that he he does choose to come back, you know, once Uh, COVID has passed and the conditions are back to normal hopefully his morale does pick up Um, it'll be a shame if we didn't see him back because he is a real veteran of the sport though he's not one of those real big names that's that's won uh, grand slams etc you know it's it's a shame to see him feeling this way Um, Marcus just a a word on that Uh, Gilles Simon?
1: Yeah, just a, a real model competitor, I think, is what he really stands out to me. A player who broke into the top 10 and, and, and managed to sort of stick around in and around that place in throughout his sort of late 20s, early 30s, and has still been a really enjoyable player to watch on the tour as he goes into his late 30s, you know, making finals every year, challenging the best players. You know, he's a player who's got really every last drop out of his ability as a tennis player and... You Know someone that's been really entertaining to watch over the years. Um, I, I, I often fall back to calling a player like this in the Roberto Baltista a good mold. Um, because you, you see when you see the Spaniard play just how much he gets from himself. Now he he leaves nothing out there. You know, Simon's had a better, even better career than, than Baltista a good. Um, definitely a, a higher career, high ranking. And you know, at 36 before seeing this news, I would have thought that Simon still had quite a lot to give. I know he really brings it at the grand slams. Um, You know, one of those great players to watch in the, on the first few days of a slam when there's so, so many matches in the opening rounds. Um, So, you know, I I really hope he can, um, you know, recover and uh, his morale increases It is a tough time, particularly for the older players. You feel um, with no fans and obviously, having to sacrifice more of their family time due to the restrictions to, to just play tennis again. Um, I'm pretty sure he's got quite a a young family. He's definitely got some, some children at home. So hopefully, you know, he'll be surrounded by them and uh, he can can turn the corner. Um, But, you know, I I definitely, I definitely think he he deserves to be applauded off the court when he decides it's time for him to retire because he has given so much to the sport over over the years, and um, you know, he's definitely a player that I think that some of, some of the up and coming players should should look up to as a player who possibly didn't have the game to to achieve what he has done, but with the dedication and, and just uh, determination, has had a, a hugely successful career and is a is a is a real role model on the tour. So yeah, I just really hope he can uh, come out the other side of this. Um, but yeah, just uh yeah, thoughts thoughts with him and all his family and hope that hope that we see him back out sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, best wishes to Gilles. Um I'm aware this podcast has been a, a little bit of a longer listen than our, than our usual Monday one, I think. So we'll rattle straight on to the final part of the podcast, the guest player Marcus has done a guest player for me. So we will hand over to Marcus in the first clue.
1: It's a very detailed one. I, I think you've got a great chance of getting this off the first clue. This player is the current world 158.
0: Great. Um, I'll go for someone who's been inside the top 100 because I think it would be quite harsh if you'd just gone for someone who. Uh he's not...
1: actually go on. We'll go is it I oh, will go Liam Brody. Yeah, no, nah, he's not in the top two hundred. Oh, he might be narrowly. Actually.
0: Yeah, I
1: think he, he is, is now. Yeah. Uh no, it's not not Liam Brody. Um this second clue will definitely rule out Liam Brody. This player has won six career titles, four on a clay court and two on a hard court.
0: So these are um not not challenger titles. No, These no ATP titles.
1: titles. Okay,
0: so four titles on clay and two on hard. Right. Okay. Uh, so definitely someone who's been a much higher ranking. Uh, possibly someone who's just coming back. Probably more of a clay court player. I would think, really, this should really be enough to get it. Because there can't be too many players down at that ranking with that many titles. But I can't think of someone that ranking is, is won that many titles, to be honest. Uh, I'm assuming... It sounds like they're more of a clay quarter, so I'm assuming either a South American or perhaps a Spaniard, uh, Italian, maybe French... Um,
1: I mean, I I know this isn't right, but I don't really have a guess. uh, Luca Pui. Okay. Yeah. No, it's not Luca Pui. Uh, Passes are allowed in this game. Yeah, I know. I know. Just
0: makes me like less of an idiot.
1: Yeah. Clue three. Um, This isn't a massive clue, but it should give you a clue as to push you towards what this player is currently operating in, what sort of level they're currently operating at. Uh, so I mean, if you recognize this match, then you got a chance. Uh, lost to Wu Tung Lin in a challenger in Kazakhstan last week.
0: Wasn't but wasn't
1: that? Well, that
0: was Victor Troisi, wasn't it? Who I did last?
1: Nah. Well, Wu Tung Lin probably beat more than one person last week.
0: As in, so when you say last week, yeah,
1: last week, okay. Uh,
0: because that might have fit with Troisi, um, definitely someone in the latter stages of their career. I just, um, I just can't
1: think who. No, I'll pass. Uh, this next clue, clue for might just test your uh, observation skills um, or how much tennis you watched at, at Rotterdam last week. Um, because this this guy's name was around the arena on the list of previous winners, as this player won Rotterdam in 2016. So if you didn't see it, it's not a huge clue. But if you, it might trigger something if you noticed it out of the corner of your eye.
0: I feel like I did see the list of winners, and I feel I, I do remember seeing one. Uh, come on, I should know this. Um, so they've won four titles on clay, but they have one in Rotterdam. I saw it. I remember. I remember. I remember seeing the list. I remember there being one that kind of just. No, I should. I should be getting this, but I- I'm gonna pass.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, this should narrow it down. Um, fifth clue: this player is Slovakian.
0: Ah, uh, okay. Um. I'm going to jump onto that. Um, yeah, the ranking would make sense. The titles, it's more than I thought we had, to be fair. I don't know, I can't think of any.
1: So, is it Martin Clizan? Correct, yeah, Martin Clizan. Um, yeah, yeah that also surprised me as well. Yeah, I'm going to get annoyed that
0: I didn't remember that, to be honest, because I yeah that i I don't really associate martin clotheszan with someone who's won six titles um but yeah no i, I as soon as you said Slovakian, it did bring about I, I do remember seeing the list of players that had won rotterdam and, and Martin Clizanne was a was a bit of a, uh, a uh, well uh, a surprise one in there his biggest achievement uh of course, will always be beating Rafael Nadal uh, at Wimbledon in I don't know the year off the top of my head, but possibly sort of 2014. I think he uh, he beat Nadal in the first or second round at Wimbledon, uh, but no good guess the player.
1: And um, no, actually, he's actually only 31, um, which his form playing consecutive sort of playing a lot of challenger tournaments rather than trying to push back into the. ATP main tour is a is a bit of a surprise considering the statistics he's got. He must have must have had quite a troublesome injury, I suppose. Do you not remember Klizan being in the Wimbledon? Nah.
0: Do you remember, Nadal went on those three years when uh, he lost to Lucas Russell in the first round, then he lost to Martin Klizam, or Russell Martin in the second round. Klizam was the first round, and then the year after, I believe was when Nick Kyrgios beat him,
1: uh,
0: when the 17-year-old Kyrgios... Nadal went on a horrible run at Wimbledon. But yeah, Klizam beat him the year after Russell had beaten him. I I might get this completely wrong, but I I seem to remember it wasn't actually that... uh, Tough for Klizan. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, the Nadal obviously wasn't at his best. Well, we're going to leave you there um, on oh, Martin Klizan, the guest player for this week. Um, as we say, three tournaments to watch out for this week. Uh, all coming from different continents, uh, so all across the world. Always going to be tennis on at, at, at some point in the day, pretty much. Um, and obviously, look out for the return of the great. Roger Federer Marcus thank you very much for joining me
1: thanks as always um thanks to any listeners that have helped us achieve a nice small initial milestone on Twitter we've got past 100 follower mark um so yeah, you can go over there and check us out on at tennis fanalyst. and uh yeah if you want to join in with the draw predictions that's tennisdrawchallenge.com and the group is tennis fanalist podcast thanks for listening stay safe